You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. I'm your host, Timothy. I'm here with my co-host, Allison. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing okay. On tonight's show, we have a cornucopia of stories. It's not even November. <laughs> Are cornucopias only in, in the autumn? No, they're usually late June. <laughs> <laughs> we have a late June fruit basket full of stories. We have a variety of stories tonight. I like doing these shows every now and then with just a collection of shorter stories. Before we get to those, I want to remind everybody that I'm an author, and I have several books out, and I sometimes I forget to talk about them, and I just want to remind everybody, my first book was called Beyond the Seventh Gate. It's about local stories around York County, Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, and Adams County. We kind of covered part of it in the first three episodes of Strange Familiars, but there's more to it than just that, kind of about the Toad Road legend and some other spooky legends around the area. I did a follow-up to that a couple years later called Don't Look Behind You. I had several witnesses contact me after writing the first book, and I had my own experiences, and I found a lot more historical information about it, and I was able to do a second book. So those two books can be read independently or preferably together as a set. I wrote a book called Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, which is a collection of old newspaper articles from the early 1800s to the 1920s, where people are talking about what I think is Bigfoot. They didn't call it Bigfoot. They had a number of different names for it, gorillas, wild men, etc. 
but the article seemed to be talking about Bigfoot in Pennsylvania. As a follow-up to that, I did Bigfoot West Coast Wild Men, another book, which is the same idea, old newspaper articles, but collected from California, Oregon, and Washington State. I did two books with Josh Cutchin, Where the Footprints End, Volume 1, and Volume 2. Those cover the high strangeness, the weird aspects as regards to the Bigfoot phenomenon. There's a book of my illustrations called Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other. If you like my artwork, I think that's the nicest collection. I did a little mini booklet last year called Monsters Under the Hospital Bed. We still have some of those. When those are gone, those are gone. I don't think we'll ever reprint those. And of course, I wrote The Witch Cloud. You can get it as a book or you get it as an audio download with the book from our Bandcamp site or from our Etsy site. Most of the books are available from Amazon. If you want to get them from Amazon, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I really don't mind where you get them as long as you get them. You can get them directly from us, from our Etsy shop. Our shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars at Etsy, you should see our stuff come up. Apparitions is only available directly from us. We have not been able to get that distribution to Amazon yet. If you like Strange Familiars, I think all my books are about similar things. And I'm working on one now that's about hermits. So taking another Strange Familiars topic and expanding it greatly. Thanks, everyone, who has gotten my books. And once again, if you're interested, you can find them on Amazon. You can find them at our Etsy shop. Links are in the show notes. All right, let's get to these shorter stories. I'm going to start with a story from Mary Ellen, who had a man in plaid show up at her church. Doesn't sound weird, right? Guys wear plaid to church all the time. But this took a little bit of a strange turn. First of all, he said he dreamed he should go to that church. And then some other strangeness ensues. So let's go ahead and start off with this flannel man at church. I'd like to welcome Mary Ellen to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing very well. So you have this uh, odd maybe flannel man thing that you mentioned on the Strange Familiars Discord, and I kind of put the brakes on. I said, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about it on the show. So I don't know exactly the story, but I know a hint of it. Yeah, there is flannel. That's the one thing that it has in common with most of the stories on your show. (laughs) So this was... When I was a kid, I was probably 12 or 13 when this happened. So we're looking at 20 years ago, so my memory's not perfect. I was at the family church that we went to. It was a Methodist church in a small town in like East Central Pennsylvania. It was a small congregation, so everyone knew one another. If someone new came to the church, everyone would go out of their way to introduce themselves. And, you know, a a stranger couldn't get by there. Mm -hmm. And so this particular Sunday, they would do, you know, Sunday school with a little bit of a break and then start the actual church service. And my family and I were farmers, so we often missed Sunday school because things happened. Sure. (laughs) So this day we miss Sunday school. We get there in the in-between time and we pull into the parking lot and I'm sitting in the back of my family's car and I see this man in flannel and I've been trying to rack my brain for what color it was, 
but I think the fogginess of the memory, like I would be making it up at this point. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember that it was flannel and it wasn't church plaid. It was flannel. Church plaid was definitely a thing there, but this wasn't that. By this, you mean like a nice plaid shirt someone would yeah. wear to church? Yeah. This uh, is more like a workman's flannel definitely, shirt. Definitely, definitely. Okay. And I remember he was wearing a knit cap, and it wasn't terribly cold. It might have—it was either spring or fall, and the weather hadn't really gotten cold yet. But he was wearing a knit cap, and he had some stubble and kind of brown, wavy hair down around his ears. And I thought, huh, strange minded my own business, went into church, did the service, and afterwards, things are kind of a buzz. So this man had apparently spoken to a couple of people and introduced himself as Walter, but not everyone saw him. Hmm. So there was this guy, his name was Brian, and Brian spoke to Walter. He was I think really the only person who had a whole conversation. And what Walter told Brian was that he was told to come to the church in a dream, but that it had taken him a long time to find it. And he was afraid that he was too late. Wow. And then Walter leaves. And then we find out like, so Brian, his wife allegedly passed the two of them speaking in the church hallway and did not see Walter. Um, <laughs> No one else in my family car had seen him, just me, even though he was, I mean, it was a big empty parking lot, maybe 30 cars, and he walked right in front of the vehicle, and I was the only person who saw. I remember the pastor didn't see, there was one other man who I know saw, and we all had the same description, and people even knew where he was sitting in the church during like the Sunday school program. And some people saw him and some people didn't. And what, like, the congregation was maybe 60 people at this time. Like, not huge. I have been to uh, small churches in Pennsylvania, most notably to play music with friends around Christmas time. And I'm imagining it's a very similar thing. You know, this is a church I'd never been to, and I was completely surrounded by the congregation. In a very kind way. You know yeah. what I mean? Just, just to, you know, thank me for playing music and everything. But literally everybody, I think, introduced themselves. Yeah. you Like, you don't go unnoticed in a place like that. And then, you know, the buzz afterwards, especially with, with the comments about a dream and all of this stuff, it just kind of became rumored that he was an angel, which is, you know, I have a lot of questions as an adult about that. But the weirdest thing about it now is nobody wanted to talk about it afterwards. Like it just became this kind of unexplained thing that very quickly got quieted. And I actually, when I knew that I was going to be talking about this, I reached out to my mom and my sister and said, Hey, you know, do you guys remember the Walter story at church? And they both did. And they both didn't want to talk about it. Oh, that's strange. Very strange. Did they give a reason why or just kind of shut it down? Like, now nah, we're not talking about that. I mean, it's hard to say. I think they know that I'm the weirdo of the family, so they might not want to indulge me. But <laughs> that was always kind of the 
I mean, even in the weeks afterwards, the pastor of the church would just kind of be like, yeah, we're not going to talk about it. Hmm. Very strange. Yeah. And nothing happened afterwards. That would be the proof I would love as if, you know, he had come with a warning for something, but. Doesn't seem angel-like to say, I, I dreamed of this place and I right. came here. Right. And, you know, what was the warning for? What was anything? And if it was just, you know, a while a, a, crazy guy with a dream why couldn't people see him right yeah and where he said i thought i might be too late or something like that that's yeah. that's an odd thing to say too it's so dark yeah 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 too late for what i guess he never we never found out we yeah. thought we might see him again that didn't happen yeah i don't know and the other thing when i saw him in the parking lot he was walking to where there was just nothing like the church was on a t the top of a hill surrounded by fields and he was walking past where all of the cars were parked like the parking lot literally just peters out into like a hay field and this is before the church service you saw him yeah it was like in between so people had seen him inside prior to me seeing him okay that's right yeah because you said you weren't there for Sunday school gotcha yeah so i don't know it's just like that was my first kind of initiation into what the heck is going on in this world <laughs> yeah so he came back for the church service then after you saw him in the no. parking no, no. Oh, he was just there for the sunday school right so he was there just kind of you know in the hallway between sunday school and church and then i saw him outside and then that was it that was it wow well you know i can't tell you what flannel man is i can't tell you the, the purpose of these flannel men but uh, as I am writing the book, I think I get to say whether this counts or not. I think this counts. It's so I'm, weird. I'm going to call it. <laughs> Is the winter hat, as opposed to kind of the lumberjack look, has that occurred more than once? Um, beanie? I'm sure I've gotten a few with beanies. Yeah. But how many, I couldn't tell you. And what percentage, I couldn't tell you. But more often than not, they're wearing some kind of hat. But the style, I think, is, is pretty variable. It changes. Yeah. yeah. So strange. A, it's one of these waking flannel man things where it's, you know, it's not like you woke up from a dream and he's standing next to your bed or went to go get a glass of water after you woke up and he's in the kitchen. And this is, you were fully awake and other people were around and so forth. And uh, B, it, it's odd and it's, it's off-putting, but I wouldn't really say it was negative. It was more, it's more like what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just always felt out of place. Even in the moment, seeing him in the parking lot was just, like, uncomfortable. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't, I, as with all of these things, I have no yeah. answers. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it counts. Sweet. Really interesting. Really, really interesting. Thank you for sharing that, Mary Ellen. Of course. I hope it's, I don't know, useful in some way. <laughs> well, it adds to the canon. Flannel Man is my Pokemon, so i got to catch them all. <laughs> Next, we're going to hear a story from Andrew, who's going to tell us about some phantom footsteps behind him in the woods. Last October, I decided to go for a long hike. So I decided on this one place called the Pemigewasset Wilderness. There's a loop there called the Pemi Loop. 
So the Pemi Loop is a 30 to 35-ish mile loop in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Uh, it goes more or less around a, a really long ridge line, which includes like Mount Lafayette. But it's very remote as far as New Hampshire goes, and it's not particularly well trafficked. It definitely ended up being a lot harder than I had really anticipated. I, I decided to use a um, like a basket pack because I'm impractical and romantic. I added like wool felt to the shoulder straps to make it more comfortable, that kind of thing. I really decked it out. So anyway, I hiked the first day. I didn't see anybody at all during the first. I hiked from 8, 8.30 until... I want to say it was like 6.30 or 7 at night, right when it was getting dark. And then I set up camp off trail. I think I hiked like 15 miles, 13 miles the first day, something like that. I was I was exhausted. But I hadn't trained, really. So I laid down to sleep, and wouldn't you know it, it got down to 39 degrees Fahrenheit. So I shivered the night away. I got maybe an hour and a half of sleep. I... Spent most of my time laying there listening to music and podcasts. Anyway, so then I, I ended up, when it was maybe like, I don't know, it was just before sunrise the next day, I decided, you know, screw this, I'm tired of just sitting here and shivering, and decided to head out before the sun rose. So, about oh, maybe two hours into it, I just decided, nope, I'm done. So I just kind of decided, like, I didn't want to do the whole hike so I looked at my map. So it's a loop going around a mountain ridge. And then right down the middle of the loop is a, uh, a shortcut from the far end of the loop to where I started. So I don't know if this shortcut trail has a name, but it goes down through a place called 13 Falls, which 13, and then it goes by a place called Owl's Head Summit. So anyway, this shortcut that I was taking went down into this valley in between all these mountains and then past Owl's Head Mountain, which is right in the middle of this valley. Uh, so I went around the base of Owl's Head. So it didn't end up being much of a shortcut at all. I think like in total, it ended up taking like 13 miles all told. But before I get there, I'll get to my story. So I was hiking for much longer than I had thought. I had a map, but it was pretty low detail. And I think to some extent, I was so over it, I was just done. And I kept looking at the map and being like, I should have gotten to these different places by now. They didn't look like they were quite that far on the map compared to some of the landscape that I was seeing. So like rivers and hillsides and things. So the map I had, it had those little lines that show kind of elevation and general topography. But they didn't seem to be very accurate because they didn't line up with where the trail was. So either the trail wasn't accurate or the landscape wasn't accurate. At any rate, I was hiking and I was feeling a little bit vaguely lost. And I got to this one place that was kind of a... It was, it was like kind of in the deepest point of the valley, maybe, I would say. It was fairly flat. And the forest was actually fairly sparse around this area. So I could see all around. And I was listening to... I think it was <laughs> Our Strange Skies, the podcast... Sorry, Tim. I do listen to other podcasts occasionally. But it was low volume because I like to be aware when I'm walking anywhere, especially in the wilderness. So I was walking and every like five to ten seconds I would look around and, you know, I like to be fully aware of what's going on. So I was walking through this 
like I said, particularly flat patch of woods. I could see far all around, maybe uh, like 75 yards in any direction. To my right, though, there was maybe 20 yards off some kind of a, like a ridge, like a mound ridge, like maybe 10 feet high. Not quite a hillside, but quite steep, and it felt like it went along with the trail for a ways. I was walking and listening to the podcast, and then all of a sudden I heard these footsteps behind me. And they sounded like, and felt like, so, okay, so they sounded like very heavy footsteps. And they felt like very heavy footsteps. I could feel and hear them at the same time, and they felt, for all the world, like what I would imagine a bear rushing at you would sound like and feel like. At this moment, that's exactly what I thought it was. I thought I wasn't paying close attention or the bear blended in or the bear was behind a tree or something and I scared the bear and in the bear's fear, it ran at me like a bluff charge type thing. And so as as soon as I felt these footsteps and, and heard them, I ran like maybe maybe 20 feet max to the closest tree and then lunged behind the tree as fast as I could to look quickly behind me to see what was chasing me. You know, you can't outrun a bear. So I don't know what I was planning in that moment exactly, but I definitely felt like I need to see what this thing is. So I looked back in the direction of where these huge heavy footprints were and there was nothing there. Just nothing at all. There's no sign of anything. I could, Like I said, I could see in any direction, like some 75 yards-ish. There was just nothing around at all. And so to me, I have no explanation for this. I don't know. I didn't tell anybody about it for more than six months. And, you know, I didn't tell my wife about it. I guess I didn't know how to feel about it. So all I can really say is I felt something that felt like giant footsteps charging towards me. And I looked, and nothing was there. And I do want to say, too, I was scared enough by these footsteps that when I lunged behind the tree, I used my arms, and, like, afterwards, my arms were actually sore. Like, I had had almost, not dislocated, but, like, I had definitely, you know, bent some muscles the way that they're not necessarily supposed to bend in my fear. It's definitely uh, was a weird one for me. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Donia sent us a few stories to read. So we're going to read those tonight in between some of these other stories. The first one is entitled Hat Man? In my stupid 20s, I was very sheltered and late to the party when it came to girls. And I finally found myself in a relationship that ended faster than it started, which put me in a bad mood since I was a very stubborn person. I held on to the bad mood. What I later realized was too long for I seemed to have attracted some unwanted attention. Soon after, I was walking in an indoor flea market, basically a bunch of people selling their junk all under one roof, when before me I saw a full-length wall mirror leaning against one of the tables, full of the junk people were selling. The mirror was at an angle facing me as I walked towards it. I, at the time, was wearing a long duster coat and a fedora, because fedoras are cool. Anyway, when I walked past the mirror, I looked into it to see how cool I looked, as one does at that age, when I noticed, because the mirror was at an angle, that there was someone walking directly behind me, and what it looked like was a perfect silhouette of myself, long coat and wide-brimmed hat. I turned my gaze away from the mirror, and I looked behind me, 
yet nothing was there. It was only later that I learned about the Hat Man and all my reading of the unknown. What is the Hat Man? You know, he's like another one of these shadow people. It's just, it seems like he's a shadow person just wearing a hat. I mean, I think I've heard of this before. Is it kind of like, is it Magritte? Which artist was always drew the guy with like the hat on? Oh, this, I'm so far out of art history. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, but I, I think couldn't it, name Is it Magritte, maybe? It, maybe, maybe. You know what I'm talking about, that like, I do the know bowler hat guy that shows up a lot? Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, real hat man sitting at home right now going, <laughs> I wouldn't wear a bowler hat. <laughs> we haven't had too many hat mans. We've had a few, but we get more shadow person stories than hat man. All right, next we're going to hear from Sarah. We'll be hearing from Sarah again later on. But in this story, she tells about a shape-changing UFO. Hi, Tim and Allison and Chad. This is Sarah, and I have a couple of short stories for you. So the first story I want to tell you about happened earlier this spring. It was a Friday afternoon. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and... The area that I live in, even though it's urban, we're near a big river and there are usually a ton of bald eagles that live near the river and they will sometimes be circling the sky over my neighborhood. I don't live too far from the water. So I'm kind of a bird nerd and I'm always keeping my eyes peeled for birds of all kinds and in particular you know, just whenever I see the bald eagles, I think it's kind of neat. Um, so I was leaving my house, went out into the driveway. It was a Friday afternoon. And as I got into my car, there was just sort of a little bit of a flash of movement out of the, I would say the corner of my eye, but it was, you know, up overhead in the sky. And as I had sat down in the driver's seat, I then am looking up through the windshield to see if I can see what bird was circling high overhead. I look up and instead of seeing a bird, um, I see an object. It's not circling, it's traveling in a straight line. It was traveling generally from the northwest to the southeast. It was higher than I would expect to see one of the bald eagles Um, higher than I've seen most birds or even drones. And at first it appeared to be a dark color metallic, kind of like a hematite color sphere. As I'm watching it travel, it's traveling at a very consistent speed, not as fast as you would think like a plane or a drone or something, but it's just traveling in a bang on straight line, pretty consistent speed. As I'm watching it, the shape starts to change from a sphere to it started to look like an egg shape. It's almost kind of had this sort of quality of like liquid mercury or, you know, some kind of metal that is able to take liquid form and change shape. But it wasn't bouncing all over the place like you typically would see liquid mercury. It was just a very smooth, very simple change of form. So... As I'm grappling in my bag to pull out my phone and record it, by the time I get out my phone, look up again, the object is still moving at the same speed, on the same course, at the same height, but it had, the form now appeared to be a cube. So it had in the, you know, span of what, this was like probably five to ten seconds at the most, 
it had transformed from a perfect sphere into sort of an egg shape and then into a cube shape. I started recording it. I got just the last couple of seconds of it sort of traveling beyond my line of sight. It traveled, you know, behind some houses and trees to where I wasn't able to keep seeing it. And it just is the strangest thing. It definitely was not a drone. There are a lot of drone fanatics in um, this area. So I'm very familiar with what it looks like to see a drone flying around the neighborhood. But this is, uh, that was not what this was. Strangely enough, I have a thing with repeating numbers. And when I did look down at my phone as I finished recording, it was exactly 4.44 in the afternoon. I don't know what that means. I'm not really like assigning any meaning to the object either, but it is a UFO in the truest sense of the term that it was an unidentified flying object. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Let's go back to Donius. And again, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, for his second story he sent about phantom spiders. In my late 20s, I lived in a college town. My friends all lived there, and I was in a relationship going on its third year, but then I found myself trying for the first and only time marijuana. I always before this had this instinct that I should not partake in such a thing, yet when you're young, you tend not to listen to your instincts. I mention this because after this moment, everything seemed to just go downhill for me. I broke it off with my girlfriend of three years and moved away from all my friends and ended up alone in a basement apartment, which thinking back on it does not sound like a rational decision to make. It was in this basement apartment that I had this experience where I was standing in the bathroom doing number one 
when I saw a shadow in my peripheral vision move towards me and what seemed into me. Shortly after that, while life was still not going so well, I would go to bed and see giant smoky spiders walking on the ceiling above me. I was not scared of them, just curious as to what I was seeing, and I would sit up and wave my hand around at them, and they would just be gone, and to this day, on rare occasions, I still see smoky spiders, only now they are smaller, about the size of a 50-cent piece. We've had people with weird spiders before. Like soot sprites? Kind of like soot sprites, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. I would love a soot sprite, like from... My neighbor Totoro. Is that part of like Japanese culture? Or is that just part of my neighbor Totoro? I don't know. No. Soot sprites seem like the so, nine fun little guys. Folks in our Discord could tell us, and they, and they will. <laughs> they, they'll let me know. This next story comes from Craig. You will love this story. It's about a mystery cassette. Hello, my name is Craig and I'm from northern Colorado. Back in high school, as long as the weather was good, my friends and I would often take trips on the weekend to Denver. On one of these trips, while out and about in the city, one of my friends found a beat-up audio cassette in a gutter. had no label or writing on it. It was just one of those blank ones you'd buy for personal recording. My friend grabbed it and pocketed it. We all kind of laughed at him for doing something like that, but that was a very him thing to do. On the way back home, he popped the tape into the cassette deck and played it. Turns out it was a recording of a live concert, It was a bootleg of a Nine Inch Nails show, one that I had actually been at a few months prior. That concert, part of the Further Down the Spiral tour, was a big deal for a lot of my friends and I at that time. We were 16, 17, and for most of us, it was the first big show that any of us had ever been to without our parents. How weird was it that a friend of ours, who wasn't even at that show, found a bootleg tape in the gutter of a concert the rest of us had been at? But that's not the weirdest thing. As we were listening, we hear a voice call out on the tape. Pete! Pete! Pete, the voice called out through the speakers. My voice. During the concert, at a point between songs, with the crowd roaring and the ambient noise of the electric instruments ringing through the speakers, I wanted to thank my friend. He had offered me an extra ticket he had ended up with, and at that moment in the show, I was so full of gratitude, I just had to tell him. I had to shout his name several times loudly to get him to hear me over the crowd noise. A few months later, sitting in Pete's car, Here we were, listening to that same experience again. Not only had our friend found a random recording of the concert in the middle of the street, but it had to have been recorded right next to us, maybe in the row in front or behind. I mean, what are the odds? I'm not sure if it was a paranormal event or a synchronistic one or what, but it was certainly mind-blowing to all of us. Unfortunately, I have no idea what happened to that tape. Our friend refused to give it to any of us that had actually been at the concert, and I haven't spoken to that person in almost 20 years. Oh, that's crazy. How cool is that? You know, that reminds me of people who have seen themselves and pictures other people post just like background people. Cause oh, you think yeah. like of all the times you've ever been in a place where you were a tourist or something, you ended up in pictures. And the favorite one I remember, I think it was from this American life. It was a couple that were dating and she had always wanted him to meet her grandfather or grandmother. And they find in a picture, she pulls out a picture of her grandmother at a certain place at a certain time, and he's in the background of the picture. You know, like someone in the family member. Yeah. So they did actually meet in a weird roundabout way. But wow, hey, don't you wonder about that? Like when it, when was the cl- time I was closest to blank? Like a person I hadn't met yet. You know, or mm-hmm. did I ever? Like I always wonder about that. Like did I ever run into you? Like when I was a kid, even though we lived nearly an hour away. Like when I was 
younger and maybe still going to a toy store where you were working at, like when yeah, you were a we, little older. Like, we had that discussion. Like, yeah. Like, like did I ever come into the store and not know it? Yeah. I mean, it's quite possible. We're going to go back to Mary Ellen again, and she has a story about some New Mexico strangeness. What's it with you Pennsylvania Dutch girls moving to New Mexico and then coming back to Pennsylvania? I don't know. It happens. There should be disulfinks on the Zia. <laughs> There's two very insular little references. <laughs> Her story, by the way, we had a story a little while back. I don't remember how many episodes ago it was, where someone saw a creature pacing their car. Yeah. I believe it was in New Mexico as well. It was either in New Mexico or Arizona. Okay. She has a very similar story. I have to say New Mexico, not only being the land of enchantment, it's the land where everyone has a story that's weird. Everyone I, th- I talk to when I, I live I think out she there. makes reference to that as well. Oh, really? Hello, Strange Familiars crew. This is Mary Ellen, and I have one story that I definitely want to get off my chest, I think and others that I may or may not submit. But for now, this is the story of my encounter in, well, one of my encounters in New Mexico. So I was living in Santa Fe at the time, and my partner and I would often drive to, um, so, okay, it was 2015. So this was before the word liminal was terribly popular. So what we would say is we were going out into the firmament or into what we would call the ecotone, the places between places that weren't quite anywhere at all. We were both creative. We were doing a lot of photography at the time. So we would just take these little day trips or weekend trips to different areas and take photos, spend time kind of just in these these strange places. And this was before I was really into any kind of cryptids or UFOs, you know, living in New Mexico. You hear stories. It was on my radar. Everybody out there has experiences, really, everybody. Uh, so while nothing had happened for me yet, I was I was very much aware of it, but not ever really looking for it. So... We're on one of our trips, and we are driving on Route 26, which is this kind of off the highway from south of Albuquerque. You get to Hatch, and you go from Hatch to Deming on this little side road that is called 26, and it's just a two-lane, dark, dark stretch of road. And we'd driven it several times in the past and always really enjoyed the kind of expanse. You know, there's there's really not a lot there. It's just the desert. And everything's kind of flat with, with mountains in the distance and you don't see anything for miles and miles. And so we're driving and I'm in the passenger seat and looking out the window, music on. I think the windows were down a bit. And... I look out and I see keeping pace with the car yellow eyes just a pair of big yellow eyes running with the car and I I kind of keep looking and my 
you know, I want to speak and my voice kind of catches and, and I, I can't say anything. I'm looking at it and what I'm seeing is something uh, on two legs, upright, glowing yellow eyes, keeping pace with the car. And it's not hairy. It's not what I would call a Sasquatch or anything like that. Didn't give me that impression. It looked like, I mean, I can't even, you know, it was dark, so I couldn't make it out, but it, it was humanoid, you know, two legs running alongside the vehicle. And then it just was gone. And I turned to my partner at the time who was driving and I said, did you just see that? (laughs) And I quickly explained what I saw, described what I saw, just like this, you know, humanoid, yellow eyes, keeping pace in the car, just, just gone. And I was, I was pretty shaken up. I was pretty spooked and uncomfortable. And my gut reaction was alien, question mark, unknown. And We had another experience later that trip that what's so strange about this is, is I recently, you know, we're seven years past now. I'm still in touch with this person. We're friends, the guy who was with me in the car when this happened. And when I was thinking about telling this story, I kind of reached out to see if he remembered any details that, that I didn't. And he said that he didn't remember that happening at all in the car. But what was interesting is he remembered something that happened later, which I had completely forgotten. And so part two of this story is we are in Deming, New Mexico, and he is taking photos in, it's nighttime, around a, oh, what do they call it? Like a a power station, not nuclear, but just the electrical power station where there's, you know, all these like lights on the building and there's transformers and it's it has that kind of electrical hum in the air as there's just you know an enormous amount of electricity kind of pulsing around you which is one of the eerier things in the the natural I guess unnatural world but it's spooky it's real spooky and so he was shooting on a large format camera like a film camera so what that meant is he's under a dark cloth with just his legs sticking out and I'm kind of alone and we're on this driveway and I'm worried, you know, that we're going to get caught for being there, even though we're not really trespassing. We just like are in a spot where people don't really go. So I'm kind of wandering around, staying close to the car just in case we need to leave. And I guess what he remembers is feeling something move past him like, brush the back of the dark cloth while he was under it. And at the same time, I had seen what I called a ghost at the time, according to to his memory. And I I have a vague, like, memory of something happening, but no details that I can remember. I just remember that I was very scared, and I remember getting back into the car. And so apparently I had seen something kind of dart across the field, something I don't remember seeing it. I assume that it didn't have much of a shape just because of the way that my memory works. I can't remember 
seeing something, but just the impression of something moving quickly. And then, yeah, like I said, like he remembers kind of feeling as though something brushed up against the back of the dark cloth, which he was tucked under while he was getting his exposure. So he didn't remember the alien sighting in the car, and I didn't remember the ghost sighting in the field, which happened on the same trip at the same time in 2015 in New Mexico. And I had kind of forgotten about it for a long time until I was listening to an episode of another podcast. It was the last podcast on the left episode about Skinwalker Ranch, and this is where my idea of did I see a skinwalker came from, as I was listening to them recounting someone else's account of having seen a skinwalker in, I believe it was in actually in Utah, and I was sitting at my workbench and just, you know, working and listening to this story, and the description just sent chills running down my spine, and I was like, oh my god, like, that is exactly what I saw kind of pulled back this memory for me. Even a traditional skinwalker, like, description? It was the first time I had ever heard them them described, and just that, that resonance. So for a while there, I was like, maybe I saw a skinwalker. And then, you know, since then, I've gotten so much more into cryptids and everything, and the more I know, the less I have any idea what it was that I saw that night. I'm going to thank our patrons. Our patrons got two shows over the weekend. We're heading towards that 100 patron episodes in the next month or two. We'll be there. If you want to help us at Strange Familiars, help us make more content and get extra content besides, you can become our patron at Patreon. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's different tiers of support there. There's options to pay monthly or to pay yearly. If you pay yearly, you get a discount. It's an even better bargain. Again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Our patrons also get access to our Discord. We can hang out, and we have lots of fun stuff we talk about there. Everything from sharing memes to categories for folklore and cryptids, Bigfoot, dreams, a general category. It's a lot of fun. I can waste a lot of time on Discord, Mm. but I try not to. If you are a patron and you want access to the Discord, shoot me a message on Patreon and I'll get you the link to the Discord. That's the best way, because I'll know you're a patron because you messaged me on Patreon. So Donnie has sent another story, and he said, this is not his story. He said it happened to a friend, but we do have permission to use it. This story takes place in Wisconsin in an upstairs house apartment. Entering the house, you would open the door from the outside, and to your right was the door to the downstairs apartment. And before you was a long stairs going to the upstairs apartment. When you got to the top of the stairs, to your right was the door to the main apartment. To your left was a small sunroom with four windows facing the backyard of the house. My friend was staying in this room, and they never locked their doors. One night, while my friend was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, at the end of the room, farthest from the door, he suddenly jolted awake, and at the end of his bed was what he called a werewolf. It was about juvenile size. It snarled at him, and my friend was so freaked out that he let out a loud scream, and then he passed out, only to wake in the morning, thinking it was just a crazy dream. Yet at the end of his bed, he had a dining room chair, and on the chair, he had set a potted plant the previous day. 
and the plant was now sitting nicely on the floor next to the chair. Was it a dream, or was it a dogman? Are they known to move plants? Or just appear out of the air? I mean, I'd, I'd sooner say werewolf, right? Werewolf <laughs> is more supernatural. Are werewolves cognizant of their transformation? Do they know what they do while they're under... I think it depends on the werewolf and the werewolf story. We've got to get some werewolves on and like kind of come to a consensus. All right, for our next story, we're going to go back to Sarah. She has the story of this trip to the Mount Shasta area and this trickster thing that happens at night, footsteps on the roof, which I'm always interested in that phenomenon. And then she has some maybe reason for it with some gifting she did in the second part. This short story actually happened quite recently, just in the last couple of weeks. I went down to Mount Shasta City in California. I live in the Pacific Northwest. Drove down there to meet some spooky friends from the internet. And we have all gotten to know each other through kind of a loosely knit but um, quite active Discord community with kind of spooky adjacent interests. So we had talked about getting together in a cool spot somewhere in the country that we could hang out and do spooky, fun questing together as a group. We got a rental in the town of Mount Jasta and spent a few days down there just exploring the area, spirit boxing and going into caves and looking for Bigfoot and generally having a good time in the woods, you know, communicating with gnomes and elementals and places of the spirits of the place. Anyway, the rental that we were staying at was just outside of town. It was in a heavily wooded area. It was probably about 50 years old, two-story home. It was haunted AF. There were a lot of different things going on in that house, many of them not particularly relevant to the story, so I won't even go into them, but I will just say that the energy in the house was really off the chain, and there were a lot of things going on, both, I think, actual like spirits of the place as well as potentially human spirits that had attached themselves to that house. I'm sure that they were taking notice that there was this bunch of, you know, spooky humans who were staying there and it probably was kicking up some amount of activity. One of the nights, I think it was either the second or the third night that we were staying there, I went to bed and the other folks in the group, we all kind of went to bed around the same time. We'd been up late chatting. I'm not used to being up late. I was so tired almost that I couldn't sleep where you just lay there and you just think, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. It's like almost kind of painful how tired you are. And it's kind of hard to relax. So the bedroom I was staying in in this rental, it was on the second story of this house. It had a peaked roof. And so then the ceiling itself was kind of like these exposed timbers almost. And they followed the shape of the roof. The second story was tall enough that there weren't any, you know, there were a bunch of tall oak trees kind of around the house, but none of them were tall enough that they were hanging over the roof of this house. The property was very quiet at night. 
which was great, but I kind of noticed that it was almost a little too quiet. I live in an urban area, and so I'm used to a little bit of uh, background noise as I'm falling asleep, and I usually also have a fan on for white noise. Did not have this, obviously, at the rental, so that was a little different for me. Might have had something to do with why I was having trouble falling asleep. Anyway, I'm finally drifting off when all of a sudden there was a massively loud thud that felt like it came from just the very peak of the roof over the bedroom. And it was as if something with a a lot of mass had sort of dropped from above onto the roof. And it kind of reverberated a little bit and it just had this gut feeling of, you know, someone wanting me to know that they had arrived and that it wanted my attention. And so I kind of literally (laughs) said out loud, please not now, I'm so tired. (laughs) And I'm laying there, I'm trying to relax again, trying to sort of drift off again. And all of a sudden I start to hear these creaking noises that are going back and forth across the angled interior now of the roof. So the ceiling basically of this bedroom. You know, I know what it sounds like when there are squirrels or rats or whatever living in a roof and there's sort of is this kind of erratic scurrying. That is not what the sound was. It was more like pacing footsteps. They were very kind of regular, consistent creaks. Almost if you've lived in an old house and you have creaky floors and you can just kind of hear someone's footsteps as they're walking along like a hallway or something like that, just kind of creaking their way along an old wooden floor in an older home. But this was coming from the ceiling. And I kind of got this picture just sort of flashed into my mind as I'm laying there of someone kind of that they were like walking upside down along the ceiling. And it was as if, again, it wanted my attention. It was trying to like show me a cool trick. Like, hey, you know, look at this cool trick I can do. I can walk upside down and make this noise. And are you not entertained, basically? And again, I was like, really, seriously, I'm so, I'm saying this out loud. I'm so tired. I don't want to be entertained. I don't have energy to interact right now. I'm just going to go to sleep. Please leave me alone, basically. So probably a couple minutes pass. Again, I'm sort of laying there, relaxing, trying to get back to sleep. And all of a sudden, the bed shook a little bit. It didn't shake as if someone was shaking the bed trying to wake me up. It more shook like someone was getting in the bed. Definitely did not shake with the same sort of intensity as if it was like fully a human form, size and shape getting into the bed. It was more sort of like an animal jumping up into the bed. So much so that I almost kind of questioned myself a little bit whether I even felt it. But it did shake enough to sort of, again, wake me up a third time and keep me from fully dozing off. And then a few seconds later, I start to feel this sensation. It's kind of like static electricity. And it was passing from the crown of my head um, along my hair down my back. I don't have super long hair. It's probably just a little over shoulder length. It felt like someone was you know, not with a hand necessarily, but kind of like taking like a wand of, of static electricity and kind of passing it over my hair, like petting my hair. And intuitively, I kind of got the feeling 
that whatever this sort of spirit activity was, that it felt bad that it had been bothering me and that it was kind of trying to soothe me. You know, so sorry to bother you. Here, let me pet your hair and help you fall asleep. And again, I spoke out loud and I said, that's not relaxing. You know, can you please just be quiet, be still, don't touch me. That is all I want you to do. If you, you know, need to be in the space, you're welcome to be in the space. But I do not want to hear you, feel you, or otherwise be aware of you. Do whatever it is that you need to do here. But I don't don't have time to pay attention to you. I need to fall asleep. At which point it stopped. And, you know, you would think this would be the kind of thing that would get a person out of bed and I would go turn on all the lights and tell everybody in the house and so forth. But it's not the first time I've experienced sort of weird activity like this. So it wasn't that out of the ordinary for me. And I really did feel like it left me alone after that. And whatever sort of spooky business it had um, to do in the house, it went about its business on its own without bothering me the rest of the night. It kind of had a wilderness, like wildernessgeist type feel to it. Like it didn't feel like a human spirit. It felt a little trickstery, but also not without the ability to empathize that I was tired and did not want to be bothered and that it felt kind of bad for bothering me after trying to, you know, show me its cool tricks and, and to entertain me. I'll never know what it was, but I'm so curious what it could have been. I'm recording this as a separate voice memo because I already sent Tim the voice memo detailing kind of the first part of this experience at our Shasta rental. And it wasn't until I sent the recording, made myself a cup of coffee and was scrubbing the floors that something just kind of clicked in my brain. I don't know why I didn't think of this before and connect it to um, the story that I shared about the thump on the roof and the creaking sounds and the weird sort of static electricity petting my hair the second or third night that we were staying at the rental in Mount Shasta. Um, So as I said, this property is located, you know, outside of town. It's in kind of like a beautifully wooded area. There are neighbors, but there's a good amount of woods in between the houses. So you're not like looking in anybody's backyard. And when my group of friends and I got to the rental, you know, we kind of scoped out the property and felt like it was a pretty private enough place that we could use um, that area to leave some offerings. And they were all, you know, offerings that would be environmentally sound, you know, that would eventually biodegrade, nothing that would be toxic to animals who might come across them, so so on and so forth. There was a little bit of a hill in this wooded area out behind the rental, and I kind of went out on my own one of the, you know, first mornings that we were there and noticed that there was a little platform up at the top of this hill nestled in the trunks of some trees that were growing quite close together. And from the top of this hill, you could see Mount Shasta, the platform itself, there was a ladder leading up to it, but it was not a steady ladder, not that anyone should climb on unless they want to break an ankle. But at one point it probably had been, you know, part of a tree fort for some kids or something. And then nearby, like maybe about 20 paces away, there was a weird, we called it the cage. It was a, it was made of wire, like just, I wouldn't say chicken wire. The openings were probably bigger than that. I'm not sure what it would even conceivably contain if it had meant to contain an animal or animals. 
it didn't seem very sturdy. It seemed very spindly and not well put together, not professionally made, like it was just made up of some scrap wire that had been kind of cobbled together into this sort of cage structure. Um, the cage structure, you know, there it wasn't closed. That there seemed to be kind of like a door that it, you know, was just propped open. We didn't really get too close to it upon further inspection because we just sort of had like a weird vibe about it. We all sort of commented like, "What is that cage thing for? What could it conceivably have been used for?" It was odd. It's probably about four by six and then about three feet tall. Anyway, kind of nearby in the woods is where I chose to leave um, some of my own personal sort of offerings and to invite the spirits of the place to communicate with us. And the second or third morning that I was there, I did go back up to check on my offering area, which I you know, passed, passed by the platform on my way up there and happened to notice there were a bunch of acorns laying on the ground. And we'd gotten some instructions through a spirit box session. This is going to sound so crazy, but we got some instructions to basically bring acorns to an offering spot on one of the adventures we were going on that day. So as I, you know, check on the offerings that I had left initially in a nearby spot, I'm on my way back down the hill to the house And I stopped near the platform area and the cage and was collecting some acorns from the ground, thinking, oh, I'll throw these in my backpack and take them with us on our adventure later today. And as I did so, the wind kind of picked up. It was very still, and then all of a sudden the wind picked up. And the platform, you know, the trees were moving. This wooden platform was probably being, you know, moved around by motion traveling down the trunks of the trees as they were sort of waving in the breeze. And so the platform started to make some creaking sounds, which again, probably was just created by the motion of the tree trunks, but it did kind of sound like someone was pacing around back and forth on the platform, sort of trying to like look down over my shoulder and see what I was doing. What was I picking up off the ground? And I said out loud, Hey, we got some instructions to make an offering of acorns when we go on one of our adventures today. So I would like to collect just a few of these acorns. I'm only going to take a handful and I promise they will not be used lightly, essentially. And as I said that out loud, the creaking on the platform stopped, the wind died down and kind of like the sun came out and just everything felt like a little bit lighter and clearer as if, you know, I cleared up maybe a misunderstanding of some kind. Anyway, I carried on um, back down the house, uh, back down the hill to the house. And it's just kind of funny, like I did not really connect the creaking sounds of the platform with the creaking sounds that I was hearing in my bedroom that one night until just today. And then I also just think that the cage thing is just really weird. And it just is kind of sticking with me as sort of another unexplained detail. What, what was going on with that cage? Okay, for the next story, we're going to hear from my friend Tara. And Tara just sent me this as a voice message, not necessarily to go into the show. She was just telling me what she saw one night when she was walking with her son. But it's a UFO story. And I said, hey, can I throw that on the show? And she said, sure. More Southwest. Yes, she's in Arizona. Okay, so what happened was the other night I was out at like 2 o'clock in the morning and I saw a satellite go over, which was like no big deal. But I made note of it because I'm like, oh, it's cool. Like I always think it's cool when you see one. 
So the following night, Dirk and I were walking the dogs, and I was telling him that story. And then he looks up the sky and he goes, look, there's one right there. And we're like, well, that's funny because we were just like literally just talking about it. And then he looks up and there's another one. So we keep walking and over on the other side of the neighborhood, he looks up again and he goes, look, there's another satellite. So we stopped walking and we stood there and we looked up and like as we were looking up, we saw another satellite. And I'm like, that's weird. Like... To see that many, I mean, I know there's tons of satellites, but to see that many and like side by side, and I feel like one was going at a different angle than normal satellite. So we're standing there and all of a sudden I see this bright white light flash once and then go off. And I'm like, did I just see what I thought I saw? Or am I having like one of those weird eye things where you'll see like a pinprick of light for a second? And I'm standing there and I said to Dirk, just saw a bright light in the sky. Did you see that? And he's like, no. And then it happened again. But this time it had moved a little ways away. And so we're standing there and it happened again. Again, it had moved a little ways away. And then it happened a fourth time. And Dirk said that, and again, it was moved. And Dirk said that after that, he saw a really tiny light move a little ways and then suddenly like dart off out of sight. So I didn't see that part of it, but I was kind of still like, whatever. Plus I have old lady eyes, you know, it was just really weird. And, and how I would describe it would be like if in the sky, a light just turned on and back off. Like it was very quick, like blink blink it was clearly not an airplane i know what airplanes look like we live near three airports it was not an airplane it was so high up in the sky it wasn't like a drone or anything like that it literally was like if you took like as bright as venus and it, like size wise comparable to venus you know how it's like a huge looks like a huge star in the sky that big and bright and blink off and on and then be gone. So I don't know if it was maybe multiple things or if it was actually moving, but yep. So that was it. And it was odd, you know, not anything I've ever seen. Now, obviously it doesn't necessarily have to be alien in origin or anything like that. It wasn't normal to what I'm aware of anyway. And I've tried looking up videos and I did see one video that looked very much like it that a guy in Houston videoed and it looked exactly like this only th his stayed in the same spot and the one we saw moved or there was multiple of them blinking at different times. You couldn't see anything else with it. It was just light and then gone. And now let's go to Craig for a sleep paralysis story. In my life, I've only had three episodes of sleep paralysis, all within the last 15 years or so. The last two were scary. 
you know, I lay awake in the middle of the night, typically on my side, and I get this heavy feeling on my chest. I try and sit up and realize I can't move, and the fear sets in. I do anything I can to try and wake my wife, try and shout, anything. And then suddenly, two or three minutes later, it all goes away. I'm back to normal and can move again. The first time I had sleep paralysis, though, was much more frightening. Not only had I not known of the phenomenon previously, I experienced much more than just immobility. It happened about 15 years ago when I was 29 or 30 years old. I woke up late one night to a bright light in my room. We had one window at the foot of our bed that faced the street, and there was this bright pinkish light coming through the window, that same color of fluorescent bulbs are about to burn out, but it was very, very bright, and it shone through the blinds. I tried to sit up to see what was going on, and I discovered I couldn't move. I was instantly frightened and very awake. I could feel my heart pounding in my chest. I tried to speak, tried to get my wife's attention, and discovered I couldn't. It was then that I noticed the presence in the room. At the right side of my peripheral vision, I noticed three figures. They could best be described as typical grays. They were about six feet away, slender, a little over four feet tall, big bulbous heads, big black eyes. I didn't have my glasses on, and I could only see them at the right side of my vision, but it was very clear to me what they were, gray aliens. At that point, I went into from frightened to full-blown panic. I tried anything I could do to move or scream and still could not. I began to put all of my focus into kicking my wife just to get her to wake up and help me with this together. I put all of my focus into that and eventually was able to kick her. It was a pretty weak kick, though, and all it did was kind of make her grumble and turn over, but it worked. I could move again. I could sit up. The grays were no longer standing in my doorway, and there was no light shining through the Venetian blinds at the foot of my bed. I had no idea what to think. I'd never heard of sleep paralysis before, and this had all the attributes of an alien abduction, right? I grew up reading books on UFOs and alien abductions. I watched X-Files. Heck, this sounded like it came out of an episode of X-Files. Light shining through the window. Three grays in my room. But that never felt right to me. I never felt like there was any missing time. I'm pretty sure I never even left my bedroom. We also lived on a pretty busy street in the middle of town at the time. Yes, it was the middle of the night, but I believe someone would have noticed a very large, bright UFO shining over our house. To this day, I'm not certain what I experienced. Not long after, while trying to research what happened, I discovered the Wikipedia article on sleep paralysis. It explains sleep paralysis away as a pretty simple biological oops that between 8 and 50% of us will experience at some point in our lives, and that there's no real deeper meaning behind it. That didn't feel right either. I had an explanation, but it still felt like there was something more, something other, some sort of presence or intelligence behind this. I'm not sure. It always just led to more questions. Most of me never wants to experience sleep paralysis ever again, specifically this incredibly frightening one. But there's a little part of me that's just dying to know more and wonders if they'll ever come back. Our final story from Danaeus is what he calls Dust Friends and an Almost OBE. This may be your soot sprites here, Allison. Oh, okay. We'll have to see. He says, when I was young, I would see what I called Dust Friends. 
My room at night, when the lights were out, and I was in bed, would be filled with what looked like dust particles floating through the air of the room, and I would talk to them as if they were my friends, because why not? (laughs) I stopped seeing them as I got older. I'm not sure if there was anything to them or if I was just seeing things. It was also around this time that I would have a strange feeling like my body was really heavy, as if I was wearing a meat suit. It was only later in life that I realized I was on the verge of having an OBE. Sadly, to this day, I never got to experience an OBE. And he said he wanted to share that story because he wanted to see if anybody else had something similar. I assume with the dust friends. I would like to thank Donius and Mary Ellen and Andrew and Sarah and Craig and Tara for sharing their short stories. We'll do some of these short story shows every now and then if you have them to share. Go ahead and send them in. If you want us to read them, that's fine. When you send in the story, just make a note. Hey, I want you guys to read this. If you want to record them yourselves, record them in almost any format. We can take almost any format, MP3, Wave, AF, whatever, and uh, we'll do the editing and so forth. Wax cylinders are available? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'll find a wax cylinder to digital converter. That's a special cord. The amount of cords we have in this house, we probably have one. It's possible. But yeah, so if you want to record them yourself and send them in, it'll be a while before we do another short story show, but I'll keep it in a folder. And when the time comes, we'll put another show together. Thanks again for sharing your stories, everybody. Somebody out there has a puppy. That's being naughty. Right this very moment. And they're frustrated and they need help with training. Boy, do we have a solution for you. 90 days to the perfect puppy. They can help you, whether it's mouthing and biting or potty training or fear and nervousness issues or barking. Or if your puppy's chewing on furniture or shoes or other things it shouldn't be chewing on. If you need help with crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training or more. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy is the place to go. You can find them at sithappens.us. They have a relationship-based approach that helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. It's not about completely changing your puppy. You kind of meet them in the middle. You and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources. They have video lessons. They have a secret Facebook group. One-on-one options are available. Let them help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Again, you can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. The uranium glass was a big hit last week, Allison. Yeah, get out your Geiger counters, kids. (laughs) So we have another piece. Is this a vase? Uh, Yeah, sure. Put a flower in it, anything is, right? <laughs> it's a small one. Yeah. And what are those nodules on it? What are they called? They're hobnails. Hobnails. Yes, this is a Fenton hobnail, uranium glass, opalescent, and green vase. <laughs> These glow in the dark, as we mentioned last week. You put a black light on them, and they... They really look amazing. They look really cool. I have two others, and this is the one I've decided to sacrifice for the good of strange familiars. Sounds good. If people like that, I mean, I have a lot, and there's something you're looking for, please contact me. Yeah, if you want to, like, start a collection. Yeah, I can make up a box and just give you a price, you know, if you want. Yeah. 
particular so, pieces, I'll be I can be on the lookout for them. I always look for it when I'm out and about and at auctions and the like. So we'll do another uh, blacklight photo of this one. Mm-hmm. Put it in the show notes. If you click on the photo in the show notes, it should take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase that and other curiosities of the week. No other uranium glass because it sold out quickly last week. So run, run, run <laughs> and get the uranium glass vase. While you're on Etsy, you can check out all of our other offerings we have there. We've got Strange Familiars t-shirts. we got the classic Awoken Tree design. Still have a few of the High Strangeness Tour shirts, but they are uh, selling out. I just checked the box the other day, and there are not that many left. There are not that many left at all. I was in a consolidation mode, and I was going to throw them in with something else, and I knew I was going to get in trouble, so I was like... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not many left at all. Like I mentioned at the top of the show, you can get my books on Etsy... My artwork's there, originals and prints, and much more. Our shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. While you're on Etsy, make sure to check out our friends at Karmic Garden. And Chad's shop is Ruck Rabbit Outdoors. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music by Stone Breath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars gathering group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can always find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com. Thank you.
Sleeps a 